And the official 12 days of Christmas has begun. Hello, welcome into the Y'all Show show on the first day of Christmas. Uh, We're not quite to Christmas, but we're 12 days away. Welcome in. John Rawls, my name, the general of all things Southern. Hope you're doing well, as we've got a great show lined up here as we're on the hump day edition of our conversation about the Southeast. We've got headlines to share with you today, including a Tesla recall. What's up with that? Also, we've got a death in Hollywood as a guy that's been a big-time force on the TV show Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Andre Brower has died at the age of 61. His first role was, for me, the most memorable role that Andre Brower has had, and that was in the movie Glory that came out in 1989, Civil War movie. Andre Brower passing away. We've got details coming in on this non-Southerner, but someone that a lot of people here in the South has grown to love on the small screen and on the big screen. Also, more feedback coming in from Middle Tennessee, where at least six people were killed by tornadoes over the weekend. Believe it or not, in the Clarksville area of Middle Tennessee, residents now complaining that they never heard all of those sirens that people spend a lot of time and money trying to get them tweaked to where they go off in time for tornadoes. They say they never heard them going off. And we've got info coming out of Montgomery County, Tennessee on that. Brett Favre interrogated in court on Tuesday. We'll tell you about what's going on with him in his native Mississippi. Also in the state of Tennessee, a satanic temple is going to launch an after-school Satan club in the Memphis area. We'll find out what that's all about. A long-time battle between Alabama and Georgia, not on the gridiron, but in terms of water, That's been resolved. I've got stories on that. Speaking of Alabama, Alabama and not Georgia in this case, but Alabama and Florida State, possibly the next Civil War breaking out. And the Attorney General of the state of Florida, Ashley Moody, has now launched an investigation into why Florida State got left out of the college football playoff. We got info coming from Tallahassee on that. Plus, cattle thieves in the 21st century. What are they doing I'll give you a story out of Tennessee that you're not going to uh, gonna forget for quite some time. Plus, you're going to have the strongest meteor shower of this year peaking this week. If you want to get up early in the morning and go check it out, well, we've got just the right story for you to pass along here in our various news headlines of the day. Later on in this opening hour of our Y'all Show, we've got hashtag hullabaloo, and I'm going to tell you all about an autocorrect feature on apple products and it's not a good thing if you like to use the word (laughs) y'all i've got stories on that also in our hashtag hullabaloo somebody's out talking about chubbies in Sevierville, tennessee what the heck is chubbies well i'll tell you and i'll let the guy speak for himself as he's got a twitter slash x account where he's out bragging on chubbies so we'll let the guy get all chubby fied for you in our hashtag hullabaloo plus There is a discussion about Chick-fil-A and its salads. Are their salads good at Chick-fil-A? Have you had a Chick-fil-A salad lately? There's some commentary about that, and we'll share that with you later this hour in our hashtag HuddleBlue. Hey, want to let you know, coming up in hour two today, it's our Southern Food for Thought. We're going to keep the food talk going. With Christmas in mind, you know, one of the great, beautiful options, I would say, dessert-wise on Christmas Day, I mean... Not only is it beautiful in the way that it tastes, 
but it just looks beautiful. And that beautiful red color really makes it look and taste great. We're going to give you a recipe for Southern Red Velvet Cake. Perfect for Christmas. And I'm going to tell you about how you can easily make this. And it comes to us from a woman named Blair Lonergan. And she's got the website, theseasonmom.com. And so, Blair, thank you for the tips. And we're going to walk through your Southern Red Velvet Cake recipe, hour number two. Plus, in our second hour today, we've got our Southern Business Feature of the Week. And Money Magazine has come out with the 10 best places to live in the South. And I'm going to walk through that. Now, they also have a story up called the 50 best places to live in the entire U.S. And you know what? (laughs) There's a discrepancy between the best places to live in the U.S. compared to the best places that money has for living in the South. And I'm just going to I'm just going to tell you what all all of them are, okay? I'm not going to sit here and cast judgment. I'm just going to relay what Money Magazine, money.com, I think is the website, what they've come out with in their ranking of best places to live in the South and best places to live in the entire country. And good news, a lot of those places in the country are right here in Dixie. We've got that as part of our business news. Plus, there's some news coming out of the Ford Motor Company in terms of electric vehicles. I'll pass that along in our second hour. In our final hour today, we've got our Southern History Spotlight. And today in history, it was the Battle of Fredericksburg, a Confederate victory back in 1862. And I'll tell you exactly how General Robert E. Lee's forces pulled off a big victory there in the Richmond area. Plus, speaking of Civil War, today is the birthday of Mary Todd Lincoln, born in Lexington, Kentucky, way back before the Civil War. And we'll give you some more information on the former First Lady, Mary Todd Lincoln, Kentucky-born, but uh, Yankee-bred, I guess you could say, being the wife of Abraham Lincoln. Also, today is the birthday of Jamie Foxx. Happy birthday, sir. Texas's own. Today is the birthday of South Carolina's own Ben Bernanke, guy that used to be the head of the Fed. And also today is the birthday of Yankee girl Taylor Swift. And we got a lot of other people with birthdays here on this day. And so happy, happy birthday here just a few days before Christmas to all y'all. And we'll tell you who all y'all is in our, in our final hour today. Plus, we've got, speaking of Jamie Foxx, some audio from the funny man from Terrell, Texas. As Jamie Foxx was not long ago on TV before he got real sick here the last couple of months and we've got a clip of him on jimmy kimmel and he's talking about getting older and sometimes we forget that jamie fox a talented actor is quite a funny guy and so we've got some audio coming from jamie fox in our final hour as part of our southern humor spotlight can't wait to share all that with all y'all now let me tell you how you can get in touch with the y'all show as we have an email address, M-A-I-L, mail at Y-A-L-L.com, mail at y'all.com. And then you can text us 24-7 as we're available, 615-208-4184. The Y'all Show broadcasting on great stations across the Southeast. Plus, we're available in podcast form. You can find the show All About the South on Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn app, plus Apple Podcast, Apple iTunes. And we are posted at y'all.com. I was just on the homepage of the South a few hours ago. And when I went on there, it is so easy to find the Y'all Show. It's the big, bright red box at the kind of the top of y'all.com. And you just click on that and you scroll down 
and you'll see some video interviews that we've done through the years, but you'll see the more than 700 episodes of The Y'all Show right there awaiting your free click. So check it out, y'all.com and The Y'all Show right here today. Thank you so much. Now to some news headlines before we take our first break of today's show. Tesla is recalling nearly all vehicles sold in the United States to fix a system that monitors drivers that use the autopilot feature. Tesla recalling, again, about 2 million cars, and they're trying to fix this defective system that's supposed to ensure drivers are paying attention when they use the autopilot feature. As safety regulators say, the company will send out a software update to fix the problems. The recall comes after a two-year investigation by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, and they've been investigating a series of crashes that happened while the autopilot partially automated during driving when the driving system was in use. Some of those crashes were deadly. The agency there, the NHTSA, says its investigation found that autopilot's method of ensuring that drivers are paying attention can be inadequate and can lead to foreseeable misuse of the system. So if you own a Tesla, pay close attention. This recall covers models Y, S, 3, and X, all produced between October 5th of 2012 and all the way up till December 7th of this year. This software update from Tesla includes additional controls and alerts to further encourage the driver to adhere to their continuous driving responsibility. No more dozing off in your Tesla. And I know that there's been some deadly crashes with these things, but evidently this system must work for the most part pretty dang good. Or we would hear a lot more about Tesla's autopilot causing crashes every single moment of the day because there's a lot of tesla drivers out there now and they love their teslas so elon musk good job sir now just get x <laughs> up to the standards that you've got tesla running these days and, and your space exploration company could use a little help too so we've got another entertainment story to pass along here on the y'all show today and that is that the National Film Registry is coming out with a list of films that they think need to be recognized and preserved in a big way. The National Registry has picked a few of our favorite films. They've got a collection that includes Terminator 2, Judgment Day, also Lady and the Tramp, 12 Years a Slave, The Nightmare Before Christmas, all in this National Film Registry, where the films will be preserved for a million years. I'm guessing on that. But uh, sure enough, these are being recognized as great films. The registry housed at the Library of Congress, which since 1988 has selected movies for preservation based on their cultural and historic importance. The current picks bring the registry to now 875 films, some but not all, among the two million items in the library's collection. Turner Classic Movies will host a TV special Thursday of this week, screening a selection of this year's movie. We got some real, real diehard Turner Classic Movie film, uh, Turner Classic Movie viewers out there. I've got a friend of mine who, at least prior to COVID, 
would go out to Hollywood every year because Turner Classic Movies has some kind of convention or some kind of event that they bring in a lot of the vintage stars from the films of yesteryear and they let you meet these film stars and they get you out there and have a good time in Hollywood all put on again by Turner Classic Movies and they do a good job of really finding the movies that might have been forgotten about in the past but at least for the the Congress there, the, the Library of Congress in D.C., they're going to preserve these movies. They actually have a, mil, a film from back in 1921, a movie trip through Filmland that they've got as their oldest film preserved. And so an important piece of work there coming from Hollywood. Sad news from Hollywood. Andre Brower has died at the age of 61. He's an Emmy Award-winning actor, a Stanford alum. I think he grew up in Chicago, and unfortunately, he died on Monday after decades of being on TV and in film roles. Most recently, you might know him from his work on Homicide, Life on the Street, and also he was on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, had a big role there, a co-star of that film, and he played the role of Detective Frank Pimbleton in homicide life on the street and unfortunately he's died at the age of 61 he would win his first career emmy for that role and uh, i remember seeing him as a actor in his very first professional work he was in the movie glory alongside denzel washington and morgan freeman and matthew broderick in that movie andre brower's role was of thomas a, I guess he was born a free man, representing in the, the soldiers of the 54th Massachusetts and the United States Colored Troops of the Civil War. And Thomas, the character played by Andre Brower, actually knew Colonel Robert Gould Shaw, who Matthew Broderick was portraying in the film, and they knew each other back in Boston. So in the movie... Broderick's character becomes a colonel in the 54th Massachusetts, the head of the regiment. And Thomas was just another soldier in the regiment. But they, from time to time, would converse in the movie. And the last words in the 54th Massachusetts role attacking Battery Wagner there in the Civil War, the last words Robert Gould Shaw would say to his troops there, the 54th Massachusetts, was... I'll see you at the fort, Thomas. Thomas, again, the associate that he had back in Boston that was the guy in the movie Andre Brower was portraying. And Colonel Shaw would say, I'll see you at the fort, Thomas. And then Shaw would be killed during that attack on Battery Wagner. Footnote, yours truly, John Rawl, had two of my great-great-and-great-great-great-grandfathers fighting inside Battery Wagner against the 54th Massachusetts back during that 18, I think that was an 1863 battle. If not, it was 1864. I should know that. It might have been 1864. There in Charleston Harbor is where that happened in the Civil War. But actor, again, that was his first role in glory. Andre Brower, he would go on to be in a bunch of other stuff during his career. Dying earlier this week at the age of 61, Andre Brower. We've got more headlines across the South that we're going to get to, including an update from Middle Tennessee as they're still digging through the debris and searching for more victims and 
all the the mess that comes when you've got six tornadoes that pass through Middle Tennessee on Saturday and six lives at least taken by the passage of those storms through the area on the weekend. We've got info about how, in some cases, the alarm systems did not go off like they should have, and people are now questioning the emergency management authorities of Middle Tennessee. That story coming. Plus, we'll also tell you about Brett Favre in the news as he was in a court in Mississippi on Tuesday. All that ahead on the Y'all Show Talk with an Accent on the South. from California here on the Y'all Show. That would be California, Missouri is Cassie Ashton's hometown. Show me Cassie Ashton. Catchy tune. I think it's moving up the charts. I don't have an update on Drive You Out of My Mind, but man, what a what a cool voice she's got. All right, we're back here on the show all about the South, working our way through this Wednesday edition of All Things Southern. Let's pick up the news headlines and an update on those deadly tornadoes that went through Middle Tennessee over the weekend. Three people killed in the Madison community of Nashville. Several people losing their lives in Montgomery County, which is Clarksville, Tennessee, also in storms. They tracked, I think it was six total tornadoes went through Middle Tennessee this past Saturday and a rough, rough weather day in the southeast. And now a story coming out of Clarksville as the warning system in the Clarksville area evidently did not go off as it should have. And 700 structures in Clarksville alone were damaged and three people, including a kid, were killed when the storms went off. And residents in Clarksville are saying they did not hear a siren. The residents saying they heard alerts on the phone, but the phone was away from them when the storm actually passed through. Clarksville has 13 sirens, and the city claims they are tested weekly 
Officials said the sirens are functioning properly despite concerns raised by residents. A city spokesperson for Clarksville, Tennessee, said the sirens did sound Sunday, uh, Saturday afternoon as they should have, but real questions there. What I wanted to weigh in on is I know that in a lot of communities where tornadoes in the south are a common thing, they do test those sirens on a weekly basis. And I know a lot of money's gone into these emergency alert systems across the southeast as we've got a lot of these deadly storms popping up, sometimes in the middle of the night they pop up, and that's what's really scary. And that's why these alarms, as annoying as they can be, will hopefully wake you up if it's coming through in the middle of the night and alert you to get into a safe spot. But um, definitely some upgrades needed with our emergency alert systems and Kudos for those communities who've taken the time and put in the resources to put these things up. Again, in this one town, more than a dozen of these loud, I mean obnoxious, (laughs) alarms put into the community. But you know what? They're that way for a reason. Man, I drove through this little small community not long ago, and I assumed they were testing their emergency alerts when I went through, but my ears were rattling for about a mile, that thing was so loud, but it will hopefully save lives, and that's the point. What I want to pick on for a moment is some of our media across the southeast. I don't think our media oftentimes does the job they're supposed to do when we've got the potential of bad weather. A lot of our broadcast stations are on autopilot A lot of the time, they don't have real-life people in the building. And so for a weekend storm like we saw in Clarksville over the weekend, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I'd say as far as TV, well, first of all, Clarksville doesn't even really have its own TV, local TV, because they're part of the Nashville market. And Nashville is going to be focused primarily on Davidson County. So if you're in a place like Clarksville, you're you're just kind of getting the scraps from the TV side of things. But Nashville, to its credit, does have a competitive TV market. And so stations are trying to outdo each other with their weather reports and more. So in some ways, they're lucky there. A lot of towns across the southeast really only have, at best, one legitimate TV station. And they're completely relying on that TV station to give them the weather. What's happened in recent years is the FCC has allowed these stations, these legacy stations, if you will, in these markets, to be able to go out and get another type station in that same market that they control. So let's say the station was a longtime NBC station. Well, they might find out that they could actually launch digitally a CBS station and bring it in there. And so now they control both NBC and CBS. And to me, it just seems like a conflict of interest because competition is a good thing. And you don't have that when the same company essentially controls a market. That's on the TV side. I know about radio. And most radio stations are completely on autopilot. 
the best that you're going to get out of a radio station, at least on the weekend and or overnight hours, is the alerts from the National Weather Service. And those things are so robotic sounding, that's hard to even keep up with a lot of times. Then you do have your phones, and you do have your alerts that you can get on your phone, but a lot of those are behind the times. And then you end up losing the internet. If the storms are bad enough, you lose internet, your TV's out. That's why I guess they keep saying you need a weather radio handy, and you need batteries for that weather radio. And those are all good points. And the point is, when you got the potential of bad weather, you better be surfing around various places to make sure that you know exactly what to do and come up with a plan and save lives because we don't want to have happen what just happened Saturday in Middle Tennessee with six souls now gone, including, I think it was two children lost in those storms right here on the, right here on the footstep, the doorstep, I should say, of Christmas. We lose these young souls and that's just a terrible thing to have to tell you about. But hopefully Montgomery County in Tennessee is going to get their act together and make sure all their alarms are going. And this is a good wake-up call for communities across the southeast because these storms will likely keep coming throughout the next few months. Let's take you to Mississippi where we have Brett Favre news to tell you about. He was interrogated in Hattiesburg on Tuesday about welfare funding as attorneys having him sit down and talk to them about his involvement in the Mississippi welfare scandal. And earlier this week, Favre sitting down with attorneys for eight hours. Questions fired at Favre on how he lobbied welfare officials for federal grants to support the construction of a volleyball stadium at his alma mater, the University of Southern Mississippi, and also how he tried to get money for a pharmaceutical startup company in which he was investing. The deposition, which took place in the home of Southern Miss, Hattiesburg, relates to an ongoing civil lawsuit, not criminal proceedings. Favre is one of 47 defendants in a civil case that the Mississippi Department of Human Services, the state's safety net agency, filed in an attempt to recoup $77 million in misspent or stolen welfare funds. This all also traces back to the former governor, Phil Bryant, of the state of Mississippi. And also in that was Tate Reeves, the current governor. They tried to sully him as he was running for re-election in Mississippi this year with this whole welfare funding scandal. And Tate Reeves was able to survive those accusations. I really don't think he personally had much to do with this misspent seventy-seven million dollars but brett Favre, definitely a name that's been brought about in this situation and it's gotten ugly it's been going on for a few years now remember shannon sharp was sued by brett Favre because of comments that sharp the nfl great that's on tv he said bad things about brett Favre, and Favre sued and now that case has been i think thrown out of court but at least Favre still having to do deal with the baggage of this welfare fraud accusation. And he was in court earlier this week, or being depositioned, had that going on earlier this week, maybe not in a courtroom setting. 
Here's a disturbing story coming to us from the state of Georgia. A 25-year-old Georgia woman, Hannah Payne, has now been found guilty of shooting and killing a man in Clayton County, south of Atlanta. As she was found guilty of murder, both malice murder and felony murder, as well as aggravated assault and other charges. And the wild story about this killing, she killed a man who was roughly 60, maybe 61 years old. She didn't even know him. She killed Kenneth Herring, age 62. I think he was somewhere right around there. She killed him because she witnessed him flee a car accident, and she wasn't even in the accident. She just saw that he left the scene of a car accident in Clayton County, Georgia, back in 2019. So she goes and tracks him down, and she kills him. And on Tuesday, she was found guilty. And and this is not exactly a road rage incident because she wasn't the victim. She just witnessed this guy leaving the scene of a crash in Clayton County, Georgia. And now the 25-year-old woman who would have been early 20s when this happened, a man that she did not even know, she goes and and kills him. Now, her defense was that the man and and her got in a scuffle as she chased Herring down and pulled out her gun, and that's what the defense, their testimony was during the trial that wrapped up, and now she's been found guilty. But her lawyer argued that she acted in self-defense on the witness stand. The attorney testified that she pulled the trigger that the, she testified that the man pulled the trigger during the struggle. But she's now been found guilty. Hannah Payne in Clayton County, I guess that's Fayetteville, Georgia, found guilty of murder. No, rather, Jonesboro is the county seat of Clayton County. Uh, found guilty of murder in this witnessing of an accident turned murder in the state of Georgia. To a story out of the Covington rather Cordova section of the Memphis area, a satanic temple now plans to host an after-school Satan club at Chimney Rock Elementary School in Cordova. The club plans to start the program on January 10th in the school's library and run through the spring semester. The satanic temple claims to be a non-theistic religion that views Satan as a figure who represents, quote, championing the human mind and spirit, the group says the club does not attempt to convert children to any religious ideology as clubs like this started popping up around the country back in 2020. There will be various activities centered around the seven fundamental fundamental tenets, including science and community service projects, puzzles and games, nature activities, arts and crafts. I just want to know at this Memphis area elementary school, Chimney Rock in Cordova, do they even have a Cub Scout pack that's allowed to meet there? Do they have any kind of other religious type group meeting at Chimney Rock? Something tells me no. And now a satanic temple plans to host an after-school Satan club at this school in the Memphis area. Just mind-blowing where we are 
as a society. Again, I bet you there's not a single school in the Memphis area that even allows a Girl Scout or Boy Scout or Cub Scout type deal to come in there and do stuff. And and now this looks like this is going to happen. Something tells me they're going to get a lot of cards, letters, phone calls, emails, etc. before they have their first meeting scheduled in the month of January. And lastly, in our headlines across the South here for this opening hour of the Y'all Show, Ashley Moody in the news. She is the Attorney General of the state of Florida, and she's now launched an investigation into Florida State, the Seminoles, being left out of the college football playoff by the selection committee that just announced the final four, if you will, of college football two weeks ago when they made that decision. Ashley Moody's antitrust division has sent a civil investigative demand to the college football playoff committee for information about possible contracts, conspiracies in restraint of trade or monopolization of trade and commerce relating to anti-competitive effects of the college football playoff. Florida State undefeated this year. They won their ACC championship, but they got left out of the playoff. One loss, Texas. One loss, Alabama. Got in there, but FSU did not. Moody, in a statement, said, I'm a lifelong gator, but I'm also the Florida Attorney General, and I know injustice when I see it. No rational person or college football fan can look at this situation and not question the result. The NCAA conference and the College Football Playoff Committee are subject to antitrust laws. Whoa. Well, Ashley, I got news for you there, Attorney General of Florida. You're going up against the machine, and it's not the NCAA. You're going up against Alabama and the Crimson Tide Nation on this one, and I wish you luck. Good luck there, Ashley Moody. And Ron DeSantis, her boss there, the governor of Florida, I'm sure is rooting her on. And I know Rick Scott, the senator from Florida, has already weighed in on this. And good luck, Seminole fans. Maybe, just maybe, you can win off the field because you're not going to have a chance to win on the field and play for a national championship. You got you got left out. And you got to go off and face the Georgia Bulldogs in the Orange Bowl, which is not a bad place to be, but not a chance to win a national championship for an undefeated ACC champion, Florida State Seminoles. We will be wrapping up this hour of our Southern Conversation when we come up. After the break, we've got hashtag hullabaloo. And in this hashtag hullabaloo today, I've got info on Apple and their autocorrect, some info on Chubby's, and is the Chick-fil-A salad any good?
called The Gambler and Miss Dolly together with a little Christmas Without You. What a great song from the 1980s and that great album they did, Kenny and Dolly, Once Upon a Christmas. We're back here on the Y'all Show. Just a few minutes left here in our opening hour time now for a little social media fun. And Miss Dolly's on our mind because on the X account for a fella that was recently hanging out at 1386 Dolly Parton Parkway. <laughs> That's in Sevierville, by the way. 1386 Dolly Parton Parkway in Sevierville. That is where you'll find Chubby's Restaurant. And on social media this week, Josh Prey just happened to be hanging out at Chubby's there in Sevierville. And Josh has gone on social media and said, Chubby's in Tennessee has the best sandwich on earth. And Josh backed it up as he's got an X account where he's on video with a testimonial about Chubby's. Now, at Chubby's, you'll find hamburgers. Oh, they are delicious, according to Josh. They're served with one choice of a side. They've got fries, tater tots, onion rings, and homemade chips. Burgers will set you back nine fifty, according to their latest menu. They also have a mushroom Swiss burger and a Chubby's famous burger that's topped with bacon, slow-roasted pork, barbecue sauce, grilled onions, and smothered and cheddar cheese. Ooh, and just for $3.50 more, you can turn that Chubby's famous burger into a double. Chubby'sRestaurant.net is the address if you want to learn more about Chubby's. But as I said... This guy was kind enough to step outside the restaurant and do a testimonial video here this week. Let's go in and hear from his ex account at underscore Josh Prey his his uh, confession about just how good Chubby's in Sevierville actually is. Understand, we're in Sevierville right now. I've never witnessed a place like Chubby's. I've never endured a place like Chubby's. Chubby's has a pork tenderloin. Fried pork tenderloin that's bigger than the state of Tennessee itself. And I tried to eat all of that by myself. Did I almost make it? Get out of my business. Don't judge me. My blood pressure a little high? I got doctors and water bottles for that. They have everything you can name in Chubby's. In Sevierville, the waiting staff is immaculate. The water, the, the lady gave me so much water, I'm going to be peeing for 19 days. That, that ain't, they got a peach cobbler, crisp something. I ate like four of those on my own. My mama gonna be so upset that I ate somebody else's peach cobbler, but then she brought out banana pudding. How am I gonna say no to banana pudding? Did y'all know that they do the pig in the back of the restaurant so everything you eat is fresh at Chubby's and Sevierville, man? I even took jalapeno poppers to go. I don't even know if I look. Chubby's? <laughs> The food's so good and make you emotional. I got to go get some open down and play. Mm, man, that's a pretty strong testimonial, don't you think? Coming from Josh Prey on X. Check that out. As he says that Chubby's in Sevierville, Tennessee, the best sandwich on earth. Go check it out for yourself. We've got another food-related subject that's popped up, and this is more of a question than a statement. And this comes to us from Cleo. At Appalachia Bell on X, at Appalachia B-E-L-L-E. Cleo describes himself as a federal researcher 
And they also put in their profile, big fan of abortion rights, an orange cat mother, a West Virginian, and all tweets are her own. Okay, well, thank you, Cleo. That's K-L-E-O. And Cleo asked a question here on social media. Are Chick-fil-A salads even healthy? Question mark. Well, uh, let me tell you, Cleo, what we found here. Our production staff at the Y'all Show have found out that the market salad option at Chick-fil-A is the healthiest salad option on the Chick-fil-A menu. The market salad is a bed of mixed greens topped with crumbled blue cheese and a mix of red and green apples, strawberries, and blueberries. Each salad is served with harvest nut granola, roasted almonds, and zesty apple cider vinaigrette dressing. The market salad comes in a couple of different options. You can get it without chicken, which is only 440 calories. If you want to get it with chicken strips, that's 750 calories total, 57 carbs, by the way. The market salad with grilled chicken is 31 grams of fat and 540 calories. And then they've got it with grilled nuggets, the regular Chick-fil-A nuggets, and even a spicy grilled filet. All that from the market salad served up at Chick-fil-A. A lot of these salads do have a fair amount of sodium most of which are over a 1,000 milligrams of sodium, if that's a concern. But according to our research, the market salad is indeed a healthy option at Chick-fil-A. Cleo, we appreciate you bringing this question to our attention. And lastly here, we've got a X from at Georgia Boy 69, or is that that's an 89, at Georgia Boy 89, and that's J-A-W-J-A, Georgia, Georgia boy, 89, who describes himself as a Georgia country boy, hashtag go dogs. Well, Georgia boy has put up a emoji that we want to tell you about as his emoji has the map of the South and on it, it says, dear Apple, y'all is a word. So please stop changing it to tall, haul and fall. Thank you. Signed, sincerely, the Southern United States. Well, hey, Apple, if you're listening, Georgia Boy 89 has got a good point. Stop changing y'all when we try to put it in our phones and our text messages and more. It is Y apostrophe A-L-L, and it's as Southern and it's as important of a word as A and and the in the English language, okay? So listen up, Apple. And thank you, Georgia Boy, for letting us know that. That wraps up Hour 1. we got more Southern Conversation coming in Hour 2.
You know, we got to give our band a proper thank you because we haven't done that in a while. What a great sound we got here on the Y'all Show with our our orchestra. They're not a band. They're they're the Y'all Show Orchestra, barring a line from David Letterman show. Welcome back. It's hour two of the conversation that we have each and every day called the Y'all Show. Got a busy second hour here as we've got more headlines to pass along. Plus, we've got food to tell you about. And red velvet cake is going to be something we celebrate here in the second hour. A lady out of the Blue Ridge of Virginia has done a good job posting on her website a red velvet cake recipe. So from the website, theseasonmom.com, Blair Lornigan, thank you for posting your southern red velvet cake for Christmas recipe. And we'll walk through how to make that and how yummy it's it's going to taste. And you can even make it and have it out for St. Nick when he arrives in just a handful of days. This is the first of the 12 days of Christmas. Merry Christmas to all y'all. So we got food on our mind later this hour. And we also have, before the hour wraps up, our Southern Financial and Business Report of the Week. And Money Magazine's been busy. They've got a breakdown of the 10 best places to live in the South. And it's all, mm, I would say, driven by money is why they've come up with the listing of these 10 best Southern cities. But also, they've been busy over at Money, coming up with the 50, 50 best places to live in the entire country. And not every Southern not all 50 places in the country are in the South, so I'm not sure what's going on over at Money, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just relay what they've got out, and we'll do that as part of our Southern Business Spotlight. Also, we got some news from Ford Motor Company in terms of electric vehicles that we'll share with you in our Southern Business Spotlight. The Y'all Show podcast form, we're in iHeartRadio, the app there for that. We also are on TuneIn. We are also available to you on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Apple iTunes, and you can also find the Y'all Show at each and every day that we do this. You can find us at y'all.com with our podcast available free of charge. You can download it there. We are the show, if you've just now tuned in for the first time, the show that puts the South first. We cover Southern news, Southern gossip, all the fun stuff of Dixie. We put you right on top of it here with our y'all show let's dive into a few of the news headlines from across the southeast today and one thing i want to let you know is that we have the death of a hollywood actor to tell you about andre brower has died at the age of 61 he played a big role on the homicide life on the street drama that was on television for I think it was seven seasons that was on. Brower died after a brief illness at the age of 61. He also was on Brooklyn Nine-Nine with a lead role on that film, the Chicago-born actor whose first role was of Thomas in the 1989 Civil War movie Glory. And, man, just a, a, a guy that you've seen forever on television, it seems. Andre Brower dying at age 61. One. Elsewhere in our news headlines across the southeast today, the battle between Alabama and Georgia continues. This is not necessarily a Crimson Tide Georgia Bulldog battle, but a long-running battle between Alabama and Georgia is now over, according to the governors of those respective states, says 
Governors Kay Ivey of Alabama and Brian Kemp of Georgia announcing on Tuesday the water war is over. In a news release, Governor Kemp of Georgia said that Alabama and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers had reached an agreement that will end a lawsuit filed by Alabama over water use in the Apalachicola-Chattahoochee-Flint River Basin. The basin includes Lake Lanier, which is the big body of water northeast of Atlanta that the Chattahoochee runs through. And Lake Lanier is the main source of water for metro Atlanta. And it also goes so from Atlanta, it goes on south to Columbus, Georgia, and then forms the Alabama and Georgia border as it heads down to Apalachicola. And so it affects a large section of the south with cities like Columbus, Georgia, Albany, Georgia. You got Dothan, Alabama, and eastern Alabama, the wiregrass also affected, and even towns in the Florida panhandle affected by this river basin. The lawsuit, which was filed by Alabama in 2016, centered around a master water control manual adopted by the Army Corps of Engineers for managing water supplies in the basin. That plan gave Georgia permission to store more water in Lake Lanier to meet the needs of the rapidly growing Atlanta area. But Alabama, a year later, sued claiming the plan allows Georgia to use more than the fair share of water, putting users downstream in the Chattanooga area and those users that need it in Alabama, they're having more risk of drought because Lake Lanier is holding back all the water. Under the agreement announced Tuesday, the Army Corps would begin operating its dams and reservoirs to maintain new minimum water flow levels at two locations, Columbus and in Columbia, Alabama, which is 90 miles south, just across the border on the Chattahoochee River. The proposal also calls on the Corps to maintain a minimum elevation at Lake Seminole in southwest Georgia, which is about 20 miles from Bainbridge, Georgia, and that is to ensure adequate water supplies. Lake Seminole is kind of on the corner of Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. I've never seen Lake Seminole, but it looks like a nice little spot down in, uh, well, it would be in a lot of places, South Alabama, South Georgia, and then on the Panhandle is where it also touches The agreement announced by the governors appears likely to settle another of the long-running water disputes between the two states, which have battled in court over various issues since way back in 1990. There's still an issue between Georgia and Tennessee, as Georgia is trying to get access to, I guess it would be Nickajack Lake, as they claim that that should have been part of Georgia originally when the maps of the state were drawn, that the Tennessee River, the border should be touching, Georgia's border should be touching the Tennessee River, of which it is actually not. If you ever are in the Chattanooga area, Georgia's mighty close to touching the river, but it actually never actually gets there. I'd say probably it comes within five miles of having an access to the Tennessee River, and Georgia is trying to get some some of that beautiful, delicious Tennessee River to its uh, assets there. In, I think that's Dade County, Georgia, is that most northwest county in the state of Georgia. But uh, right now it looks like one battle that Georgia's been fighting, in this case Alabama, seems to have come to an amicable 
ending, and that's because of the Corps of Engineers stepping up and agreeing to do some things. You know, they're very concerned, the Corps of Engineers, with our river levels, and that includes not only the Chattahoochee, but, boy, do they have a big presence up and down the Mississippi River trying to help out cities like New Orleans and Baton Rouge, but also trying to keep that Mississippi River from changing course in south Louisiana and cutting off Louisiana if it naturally shifted over to the Atchafalaya Basin, then it would miss out. The river primarily would not be going through New Orleans. That would be a big, big problem. Let's tell you about an old century crime meeting a 21st century crime, too, I guess you could call this, (laughs) as we've got cattle thieving going on y'all in the state of tennessee this comes to us from inglewood tennessee where three suspects have been arrested after allegedly stealing cattle worth thousands of dollars and guess what they put up on craigslist the cows for sale as tennessee's department of agriculture crime unit the good old acu that could be your next reality tv show Tennessee's Agriculture Crime Unit recovered five cows and arrested a man from Sweetwater, Tennessee, and two others from Athens, Tennessee, in East East Tennessee. All three taken to the McMinn County Jail and are facing felony charges of theft of more than $6,000 as they stole these cows back on December 3rd. According to the Agriculture Crime Unit, a special agent was led to a spot in Lincoln County, which is southern middle Tennessee, Fayetteville, Tennessee, where five cows were purchased by a citizen through a private Craigslist transaction. So they were using Craigslist to buy these stolen cows and ended up um, catching them. Since July 1st of 2023, how about the ACU, y'all? Give it up to the agricultural crime unit of the state of Tennessee since July of just this year this unit has investigated 271 cases and offensive across the volunteer state so you got cattle thieving going on in a big way and in this case they're using Craigslist to find people out doing bad things and three people will be spending some time in jail I remember a story from over 20 years ago. A friend of mine had just started practicing as an attorney in a southern state. I won't tell you which one, but it was a small rural rural region of where he was practicing. And a guy got caught stealing a horse, I think, in this case. And the judge, it was a young guy, and the guy got caught stealing some kind of animal. Could have been a cow. The judge right there when he was getting ready to sentence him said, I can either sentence you to two years in jail for this, or you can go join the military and go fight in the Iraq war. And guess what? The guy joined the army. And as far as I know, went and fought in the Iraq war back in 2004. That's some old school justice right there. But, uh, and I think that was this attorney's first case ever. So pretty wild story, but how about Tennessee having its agricultural crime unit, ACU, and Craigslist helping them catch these knuckleheads out stealing from good old farmers, our dairy farmers 
and cattle, the beef farmers of the southeast. I've been in a Lincoln County cow pasture before, and uh, boy, cows in some sections of Tennessee have it rougher than other sections because, (laughs) at least in Lincoln County, they got some really hilly hills, and those cows have to fight to go down and get them a drink of water. They're they're probably jealous of those West Tennessee cows that have that nice flat land and don't have to struggle, although maybe not as many trees out in the western section of the state. Of course, East Tennessee cows really have it tough. So I'm feeling sorry for cows here on the on the show today. <laughs> and want to let you know as we wrap up our news headlines this hour that the strongest meteor shower of the year is going to be peaking this week. And you'll be able to see hundreds of shooting stars if you want to get up early in the morning and check this out. The Geminids began mid-November and will build until the peak, which is December 13th and 14th. That's tonight. So then it'll start decreasing, according to NASA. The Geminids considered to be one of the best and most reliable annual meteor showers, producing up to 100 shooting stars per hour. Geminid meteors are bright and fast and tend to be yellow to greenish in color. They're best viewed during the night and pre-dawn hours. Starting as early, well, maybe you don't have to get up early in the morning. According to this article, they start showing up about 9 to 10 o'clock at night. To view them, NASA recommends finding an area far away from city or street lights and come prepared for winter temperatures and then lie flat on your back with your feet facing south and looking up, taking in as much of the sky as possible. It'll take about 30 minutes for your eyes to adapt to the dark. Then you'll begin to see the meteors. Wow, that's a pretty cool deal. I did not know it was that easy to see. And I didn't know it would be that much effort to see a meteor shower where you got to get out in the country. you got to let your eyes adjust for 30 minutes or so. But it's a beautiful thing. I've got a buddy of mine who drives into work early in the morning, and he stopped me the other day to say, man, I had to almost pull over because of the meteor showers were so strong driving into work when he drives in around 3.30 in the morning, which why in the world you'd go in that early is unknown to me. But he was in a very rural section of our region. And, yeah, you, you can see those meteor showers probably quite easy in a place like where he lives, but he mentioned how beautiful it was. So you don't have to go and see the Aurora Borealis. You don't have to go see those knights, the knights of Holland or wherever they are. Norway is, I guess, where a lot of people go. I know people who've gone on vacation to see the uh, the lights, the stars, and more. You can get a taste of that right here in the South. You you just got to put on a heavy coat and go out in the country and and hang out for a while, and you'll be blown away by the Geminids, which, again, tonight is supposed to be, according to NASA, the best night for seeing the stars shine. We got the stars shining right here on the Y'all Show. When we come back, we're going to let it shine with a great Virginia lady. And she's got a really cool website up that's got a southern red velvet recipe. If you want a red velvet cake in time for Christmas, 
Well, Blair Lonegren has this posted a recipe on theseasonmom.com, and I can't wait to tell you just how delicious and easy this red velvet cake recipe is. Before the hour is up, we've got our southern business news to share with you. The best cities in the south to live in, according to money. All that ahead on the, I mean, the bright shining star of the south, the, the Y'all Show. Lovely little song there from Triple M, Michael Martin Murphy, 1985, the year for Carolina in the Pines. You probably know Michael Murphy from songs like What's Forever For and some other big songs he had like Still Taking Chances and uh, just some great songs he had throughout his career. And that's a good one right there. Catchy little tune, upbeat track here as we have... The Y'all Show continuing on as we've got the 12 Days of Christmas officially kicked off now. And how about Christmas Day somewhere in your Christmas weekend, since Christmas is going to be on a Monday this year? How about at some point you have a chance to enjoy some delicious red velvet cake? Now, do you like red velvet cake? Even if you don't, if you're a red velvet cake hater, you got to admit, it's a pretty cake. It's a pretty, pretty, pretty cake. <laughs> and it's usually pretty dang delicious, too. So, with Christmas and red velvet cake in mind, we have found the website, theseasonedmom.com. And that is from a lady from the Blue Ridge of Virginia that's got this website up. Her name is Blair Lornigan. TheSeasonMom.com. And if you go there, she's got a greeting that says, Hey, I'm Blair. Welcome to my farmhouse kitchen in the foothills of Virginia's Blue Ridge Mountains. Inspired by local traditions and seasonal fare, 
you'll find plenty of easy, comforting recipes that bring your family together and around the table. It's down-home, country-style cooking coming from Blair Loringen and the website theseasonedmom.com. And so when I've gone onto this website here in this beautiful section of the Commonwealth of Virginia, she's got this website up and going, and we've got the Southern Red Velvet Cake recipe from Blair. As she writes, it's a classic dessert that, that's perfect for any special occasion, from birthdays to Christmas. No one can resist the beautiful red layer cake with a moist, fluffy, and buttery inside that's finished with a decadent cream cheese frosting. Mm-mm-mm. Blair writes, this is my go-to cake when I want an indulgent treat that turns any meal into a festive celebration. In fact, I bake myself this cake each year on my birthday. She says there's no better gift. And the vibrant red and white dessert also makes a regular appearance on our Christmas buffet. It's timeless, old-fashioned, and always well-received. Best of all, the homemade red velvet cake is actually really simple to prepare. So Blair has even taken the time on her website, theseasonmom.com, to to answer the big question, what exactly is red velvet cake? She says, it's not just a chocolate cake that's tinted with red food coloring. Instead, this traditional southern dessert has a very unique taste that's hard to pinpoint or describe as it's a layer cake flavored with a small amount of cocoa, but don't expect a chocolate cake. The combination of buttermilk, butter, oil, cocoa, Vinegar and flour yields a moist, tender cake with a velvet-like texture. The complex flavor is a perfect combination of buttery vanilla cake with a hint of cocoa and tang. And red velvet cake is typically finished with a thick layer of cream cheese frosting. But some recipes use a buttercream frosting instead. So thank you for that information on exactly what a red velvet cake and Blair takes the time to tell us what makes red velvet cake different because of that special color and texture that's in there. She says the cocoa, buttermilk and vinegar all contribute to the cake's unusual velvety texture. And these ingredients break down the protein and flour resulting in a smooth and silky cake with one bite you'll quickly realize that this is no ordinary cake. And she's got the recipe posted at theseasonmom.com. Ingredients include butter, sugar, oil, eggs, red food coloring, vinegar, vanilla extract, cake flour, unsweetened cocoa powder, salt, baking soda, as well as buttermilk, cream cheese, and confectioner's sugar. Recipe, really easy. She's got how you can... Make it from scratch, you bake it, and then you let it cool off, and voila, you got the delicious cake, the frosting for it as well, and how to apply. The frosting will be soft at room temperature, but will firm up in the refrigerator, she writes here. And then she's even got some decoration ideas of how you can garnish the top of your red velvet cake. And and then she even goes to the point of telling you how you can make it ahead if you've got something you want to do in a couple of days and you don't have time to make the red velvet cake right before it needs to be served, how you can make it in advance. And then she's got tips on how to store it. She said store red velvet cake in the refrigerator for up to four days. 
You can also freeze the frosted cake for up to two months. Just make sure that it's wrapped tightly to prevent freezer burn. Thaw in the refrigerator overnight, she says. So wonderful, wonderful tips and more. I mean, she goes all out. She's got great photos. And I can't talk about this too much longer without having to go find me a piece of delicious southern red velvet cake, all from Blair Lornigan. Again, the website is theseasonedmom.com. And Blair, if you're uh, tuning in today, save me a seat there in the Blue Ridge foothills of Virginia on Christmas Day. I'd, I'd love to sample your what looks like incredible red velvet cake. Mm-mm-mm. When we come back on the Y'all Show, we're going to wrap up this hour. We've got a look at some of the best cities in the South to live in. And that's according to Money Magazine. Yeah, 10 of them will walk it, walk you through it and tell you where they are and how they got to be there. That's right ahead on Y'all. Day starts with a coffee and ends with a wine. Takes forever in getting ready, so she's never on time for anything. When she gets that, come get me look in her eyes. Well, it kind of scares me the way that she drives me wild. She drives me wild Beautiful, crazy She can't help but amaze me The way that she dances Ain't afraid to take chances And wears her heart on her sleeve Yeah, she's crazy But her crazy is beautiful to me Mr. Luke Combs, Mr. North Carolina himself, one of his big songs. We're back here on the Y'all Show as we're kind of wrapping things up here for hour number two. And we've got money on our mind as we close out. It's our Southern Business Spotlight of what's going on money-wise and business-wise across the South. A friendly reminder that Paul Hare of the Hare Financial Group will be in on Friday getting us set up on what the week has been on Wall Street and more. Some business news out of Ford, as Ford has cut its planned 2024 production of the electric F-150 Lightning. They've cut that production in half. Ford's going to cut the planned production of its all-electric F-150 Lightning pickup truck next year. It marks a major reversal after the automaker significantly increased plant capacity for the EV earlier this year. EV demand has been slower than many expected as prices and interest rates remain high, but sales of the F-150 Lightning have steadily increased this year. So big news out of Detroit, Motown, about the F-150 Lightning truck. Do you have one of those? Do you like it? The automaker recently planned to produce roughly 3,200 of the vehicles on average per week, but now that number, at least for 2024 going to get cut in half, at least according to the reports coming out of Motown on Tuesday. Now, let me tell you about a story from money.com. 
Money Magazine has come up with the 10 best places to live in the South. And is your little slice of Dixie one of the best places to live in the South? Well, this is in Money Magazine's housing section as they have gone and looked at cities all across the region. And there are some very happy cities. The factors that they looked at were best place to live, looking at the cost, the availability of homes, and more. And the rankings looked at sections of the South, the breakdown of the schools, and more. And they've got their 10 best places to live. Now, this listing, they say they excluded Atlanta on their original list of best places to live. Atlanta ranked number one on their overall list. And I'll get to Atlanta in just a second. But according to, again, this is coming to you from money.com, the 10 best places to live in the South. Number, I'm going to go from 10 to 1. Are y'all ready for this one? Number one, from Northwest Arkansas, it's Bentonville, Arkansas, the 10th best place to live in the country. I had a friend of mine move up there, gosh, 15 years ago, she and her husband, and I haven't seen them since. So, yeah, I guess Bentonville is a nice place because I thought where they were living before was pretty good, but they really like it in Northwest Arkansas, and Bentonville's kind of that capital, if you will, along with Fayetteville of that section of the natural state. So Bentonville is number 10. Travis Tritt's hometown of Marietta, Georgia, comes in at number nine in best places to live in the south. Of course, Marietta just to the north of Atlanta. Cobb County, home of the Atlanta Braves these days. So you got a major league baseball team right there in the outskirts of Marietta. And a nice area. you got Kennesaw State. The Owls doing great in that university, really taking off. A lot of positive stuff going on in Marietta, Georgia. And that's why that town is number nine in the Money Magazine 10 Best Places to Live in the South. Coming in at number eight, just outside of the capital, not of Georgia, but of the United States, Alexandria, Virginia, is the eighth best place to live in the South, according to Money. Franklin, Tennessee, in beautiful Williamson County in Middle Tennessee. Franklin checks in at number seven. Number six is Rockville, Maryland, right outside of D.C. Rockville, the sixth best best place in the South to live, according to Money. Another D.C. area place checks in at number five, and that would be Arlington, home of our National Cemetery. And according to Money, it's one of the best places to live in the South. The Hills hometown, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It is the fourth best place in the South to live, according to Money. Number three, a big town, a fun town, a NFL, NHL, and kind of sort of a Major League Baseball town. The Tampa, Florida community checks in at number three. I say, I guess it's kind of a Major League Baseball town because St. Petersburg is technically where the Rays suit up and play. But Tampa is the number three best place to live in the South. Number two is Columbia, Maryland. Columbia, Maryland checking in at number two 
on money's breakdown of the best places in the South to live. And you know what? I'm going to take a moment here and tell you a little bit more about Columbia, Maryland, because many of you are sitting there wondering, how in the world did Columbia, Maryland show up at number two? And I still got to tell you the number one place in the South. But Columbia is actually in Howard County, Maryland, and it is sandwiched between D.C. and Baltimore. And it is governed by the, let's see, the Columbia proper consists of an area called the Columbia Association. And according to the census of 2020, it had 104,000 residents. It's a planned community containing uh, 10 self-contained villages. So it sounds like it's hasn't been out there all that long. Columbia, Maryland is where we're talking about. It was founded as a town only in 1967. I knew it must be fairly new if it was a planned community, but um, it shows up here number two in the entire South with their villages. They've got villages with the names of Long Reach Town Center, and the most recent village added to this community is River Hill, established in 1990. And they plan to expand further. But if you want to go live in a village, consider Columbia, Maryland here as a, a choice. Again, with over 100,000 residents, their demographics show that 43% of the residents are white, 27% are black. Asians represent about 13%. I mean, it's a fairly evenly split community there in Columbia, Maryland. Not all that far from Baltimore and not all that far from the nation's capital if you're looking for a new place to move to. And the number one, according to Money, the number one best place to live in the South is Raleigh, North Carolina, home of North Carolina's state capital. Raleigh, of course, home of the NC State Wolfpack and uh, a big kind of a big town there in the Research Triangle. One of the three pillars of the Research Triangle is Raleigh as well as Durham and and Chapel Hill. But it is number one on this list for money of best places to live in the South. Kudos to Raleigh and for all of the communities that have shown up here on the best place to live in the South list. However, I don't see a single South Carolina town. I don't see a single Alabama town. There's no Mississippi places to live. So those folks in those states are, and Kentucky's not on here either. Yikes, yikes. No Louisiana. They don't even have Texas. I hope money considers the Lone Star State Southern. We sure do. But a lot of, I mean, they got too many, in my opinion, not diving too hard into the research of how they came out with their list. They've got one, two, three, four of the ten are all in the Washington, D.C. area. That's likely because people in that area make way too much money. They're all living off the government, in my opinion. I won't say all. A lot of them live off the government. They're employees of our good old U.S. government, and therefore that's how they got all this money. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, and it might still be the case, Washington, D.C. P. 
people made more money there than any other place in the country. When we were having tough economic times, that was the place that was booming more than any. And I, I just can't imagine there's all that many factories right there in Washington, D.C. Where is the money? Show me the money, Washington, D.C. But congratulations to Raleigh, the capital of the old North State, for being number one on money's best cities of the South. Now, money also looked at the 50 best places to live in the entire country. This is an annual ranking of the top places to live. They looked at things that matter most to people, economic opportunities, quality of life, diversity, and where the best futures lie. And so they've got the breakdown of the best cities in the entire country to live. Number one, I'm going to go in reverse order here. I'm going to go from the top down. Number one is Atlanta. Atlanta, the best place to live because of its booming jobs market and its eye on equality. That according to money. And money.com is where you can go and read more about it. Raleigh, the town that's number one in the south, Raleigh comes in at number four on this list. Columbia, Maryland, at least comparing it nationwide, is number six on the best places to live in the entire country. Tampa's at number nine. Chapel Hill's showing up at number 12. You've got Arlington, Virginia at 16. And Franklin, Tennessee checking in at number 21. Let me keep scooting down to where I can get out of the same cities I told you about a a moment ago. Altamont Springs, Florida is number 33 on the list of best places to live in the country, according to money.com. You also have Kirkwood, Missouri showing up at number 36 on the list of best places in the entire country to live. Hutto, Texas has made it. Hutto, Texas. Number, what are they, 37 on this list? And that's a town new to me, so bear with me. Let me tell you a little bit about Hutto, Texas, as this Lone Star State community located in Williamson County, Texas, part of the Austin Round Rock area, population of just over 27,000 in the last census. And it's named by uh, named after James Emery Hutto as he was with the International Great Northern Railroad. And Mr. Hutto was born in Alabama and came to Texas in 1847. And he's got the county, or rather he's got this town in Williamson County, Texas, named after him there in the Austin Red Round Rock area. Hutto, Texas, one of the best places, according to money.com, to live in the entire country. Wow. What a what a feat there, Hutto. <laughs> Let's get it up for Hutto, y'all. Hutto checking in there in the top 40. As we continue on, Sarasota, Florida is the 43rd best city in the country to live, according to money. Norman, Oklahoma, OU is located there and What a nice little community south of Oklahoma City. Norman, home of Vince Gill, checks in at number 45 on the best cities in all of America to live in. Greenville, South Carolina, in the upstate of South Carolina. Greenville shows up at number 46 on money's best places to live in the country. And so that's all of our southern communities. The town that ended up number 50 in best places to live. So I guess it's still a good thing that you're number 50 on the best places to live list. 
Does that mean you're also the worst place if you're number 50? Sparks, Nevada. <laughs> it shows up at number 50 on money's list, listing of best cities in the South to live, or in the country in this case, to live in. And I know you're probably very proud of where you live, and you can go to money.com and find out exactly if your community shows up here on their breakdown of best places to live as Again, they came up with these numbers based on economic opportunities, the quality of life, diversity, and where the best futures lie. And numero uno, again, the ATL as Atlanta, number one for their booming jobs market and their eye on equality. Now, what does that mean? (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure. You can have an eye on a lot of things. Does that mean you deserve to be number one? Well, it looks like according to money, yeah. You deserve to be number one. So just take it how the numbers come in here on the Y'all Show. But kudos to all of those communities. And we're going to have to plan out a vacation sometime to Hutto, Texas. And while we're at it, we're going to swing by Columbia, Maryland, and check out that place. And I really haven't spent a lot of time in Raleigh, come to think of it. I've only passed through there a couple of times. I'm not sure that I've ever spent the night in North Carolina's state capital. Been to a football game, but haven't necessarily spent the night there that I'm aware of. Now that I think about it, I better go check my uh, receipts from 65, 70 years ago. Just kidding. So that is a a look at some of our business goings on here on this Wednesday Y'all Show. That wraps up hour number two. We've got another hour of Southern Conversation coming right up. It is the Y'all Show, powered by y'all.com. Uh, We're making history this hour of the Y'all Show. We've got a lot of folks with birthdays that will be sharing their historic backgrounds with you. On the Y'all Show, we'll be telling you about a big Civil War battle that wrapped up on this day in history. It was a victory for those in gray. I'll give you that detail of that battle from 1862 on today's Y'all Show. Plus, we've got information that we'll be passing along in this hour of the Y'all Show about a person with a birthday. One of those birthday folks today is Jamie Foxx. And I've got some great, great humor, some smiles coming to you from Jamie Foxx, the Terrell, Texas native. All that is coming up before we wrap up. That's part of our Southern Humor Spotlight as we say goodbye today in just a few minutes. Thank you for being a part of the Y'all Show. John Rawl, the general of all things Southern, is my name. And we appreciate you taking time to join us on stations across the South. And those of you who listen to us in podcast form, thank you for that. You can email us here, mail at yall.com. We'd love to get your feedback here as we bring you these hours of Dixie greatness each and every day. Let's go and look at some of our news headlines as we start off this hour. And I wasn't kidding about stars and more as you've got tonight a chance to see the strongest meteor shower of 2023 
And there'll be hundreds of shooting stars if you can get out there and take the time to, to look. And you don't have to get up at the crack of dawn. In fact, that would be a bad, that'd be a really bad time to try to see a meteor shower. You need to go out there, according to NASA, the best viewed hours during the night start at 9 p.m. and go until roughly 4 or 5 in the morning. But you can go out there at 9 and 10 o'clock tonight and check out the geminid meteors as they'll be bright and fast and they tend to be yellow to greenish in color and they're available to be viewed throughout the night and the pre-dawn hours. NASA recommends finding an area far away from city or streetlights so there might be some law enforcement folks who need to be a little cautious as they're on patrol Tonight, when you're out there, law enforcement folks out riding the country roads and you see a car pulled over and people are out there in a pasture or something laying down on blankets, just give them a break on this one night. They might be laying down, checking out this geminid meteor shower. In fact, NASA says not only do you need to get away from city or streetlights, but be prepared for winter temperatures. And when you are out, out in the country, out doing your thing in the country, not cow tipping and not trying to make somebody give you a little kiss on the cheek while you're out there on the country roads. No, you're out there looking at meteors. NASA says to lie flat on your back with your feet facing south and then look up, being able to take in as much of the sky as possible. According to NASA, it takes about 30 minutes for your eyes to adapt to the dark And then you'll all of a sudden start seeing the meteor shower. That's pretty wild. I just don't know personally where I could go and lay down out in the, in the grass or the pasture or wherever it ends up being and not getting arrested. (laughs) I think it would be mighty suspicious if I were on patrol tonight as a law enforcement, I saw a bunch of people laying down on their backs with no lights on. And they've been out there at least 30 minutes. But that's what NASA recommends. I still have a fond recollection of Haley's Comet. And I remember it's a great memory from my childhood of sleeping with my grand or sleeping at my grandmother's house. And she woke me up. It was just she and I. My grandfather had passed away. I guess this was 1986 was Haley's Comet. I think I'm right on that. And I still finally recall her waking me up at roughly three in the morning. And we went out in the middle of a field right down the road from her house, a field that was being cultivated at that time by my own father and my family, because they're farmers. And we rode out there in the field and there were trees nowhere to be seen on this particular plot of agriculture land in development. And we went and, and looked at, Haley's Comet in 1986. In fact, when we come back from the break, I'm going to play a really cool song from Mary Chapin Carpenter. It was a song off of her big Come On, Come On record, I think it was. And it's a song about Haley's Comet when it came to Jackson in 1910. According to the song, that's the year it first came. But it came back around, and I'm pretty sure it was 1986. Somewhere, give or take a year or two. But I remember that 
very fondly, and I'm thankful for my grandmother, as I called her, Ma, for waking me up and getting getting a little teenage boy, I guess I would have been at that time, out of bed and going out there and, and seeing Haley's Comet when it made its return back in the uh, 1980s. I'm, I'm, I'm digging up all the times that it's been around Haley's Comet. Been around a few times. 1910 was definitely one year it came. And 1986. Yep, I'm right on that. In February of 1986, the comet and the Earth were on opposite sides of the sun, according to this article. And uh, I don't know when. uh, It's coming back in 2061, Haley's Comet. So only about 40-something years from now. A little less than 40, if you want to go ahead and put that into your Apple products and save it as a a date it'll be back on the 28th of july of 2061 make plans accordingly (laughs) all right other news headlines of the day want to let you know about how tesla has recalled nearly all vehicles sold in the united states to fix a system that monitors drivers using autopilot listen up if you got a tesla and the following models you need to go do a software update because they're having real problems. The recall covers models Y, S, 3, and X, and it includes all of those models produced between October 5th of 2012 and December 7th of 2023. So find out from Tesla what you need to do. This comes after a two-year investigation by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration as they looked at a series of crashes that happened while the autopilot feature on Tesla's partially automated the driving system when in use and some accidents happened. Some were actually deadly. And now Tesla recalling nearly all of its vehicles sold in the United States and now more than 2 million cars being recalled across its entire lineup. Not a good story to pass along for Elon Musk's company on this Wednesday, but it sounds like it can easily be updated and cars will be back up and going. Just be careful using that autopilot feature, y'all. It's not something to, to play around with, it sounds like. Also in our headlines across the South this day, Ashley Moody is the Attorney General of the state of Florida, and this Florida Gator undergrad and law school alum is proud to be a Gator. In fact, she said that Tuesday as she had a press conference to say, quote, I'm a lifelong Gator, but I'm also the Florida Attorney General, and I know injustice when I see it. No rational person or college football fan can look at this situation and not question the result. The NCAA conference and the college football playoff committee are subject to antitrust law. Attorney General Moody, General Moody is ticked off that the Florida State Seminoles got left out of the college football playoff. And therefore, she's now launched an investigation into FSU being shut out at the altar of having a chance to play for a national championship as Texas, a one-loss Longhorn team, and a one-loss Alabama team, which one of their losses, the only loss Tide fans had, were to those Texas Longhorns. But those two teams got into the Final Four of college football and had made it to the college football playoff. But the Knowles were shut out. 
and now they got to go play them dogs who also got shut out their only crime losing to Alabama in the SEC championship game. But now Attorney General of Florida Ashley Moody is standing up for the arch rivals from Tallahassee launching an investigation into FSU being shut out of the college football playoff. Hmm. Now, one more story to tell you about in our headlines across the southeast today. A Williamson County, Texas woman, that's around Austin, this woman has made a massive gingerbread Bucky's, the famous Texas gas station. This woman and her husband are taking gingerbread houses to the next level as they've created a Bastrop Bucky's with cutouts of her coworker, Deanna Vodders works for the Williamson County Tax Assessor's Office. She's done that for the last six years. And her husband, she and her husband, Paul, have worked to create a snowy Bucky's gingerbread village. And she's got her co-workers there at the Williamson County, Texas Tax Assessor Office featured in her Bucky's gingerbread village. <laughs> it's a impressive little thing. She's got a video that actually... The Williamson County office that she works for has put out. They're the ones that put this out. And their ex says, our gingerbread house takes the cake this National Gingerbread Day. Deanna with the tax office really topped herself this year with her gingerbread buckies. You can see her creation at the tax office location in Georgetown, Texas. That's on Main Street if you're in Williamson County. Go check out this awesome Bucky's gingerbread house at the tax office of Williamson County, Texas. That makes me want to go pay my taxes earlier. That's a pretty good idea. What if your tax offices rewarded you? And it doesn't take much. A simple cookie would probably be enough to get some of us in and and share the good spread of, of giving your taxes, uh, paying your taxes before even the new year arrives but the couple there in texas the husband and wife team that made this went to work building their creation of gingerbread icing and candy to make it more realistic they added bucky's signage modeled cars and they even add they had photo cutouts of some of their co-workers there at the tax office those co-workers are in this gingerbread village doing simple things that you do at a bucky's like getting gas or you know maybe walking your dog or changing tires. I don't think it shows any of them going into those beautiful Bucky's bathrooms and taking care of business. But I haven't looked at this thing close enough to see. But you can see a video at WilcoTXGov is the X account. At, and I think that's on Instagram too, W-I-L-C-O-T-X-Gov. They've got the video of this awesome gingerbread house that Deanna Vodders and her husband, Paul, made in the state of Texas, perfect Christmas gift. Got to give Bucky's credit. You know, we we told you a lot about them as we've gone through the last few months together, as they've made their journey across from Texas into a lot of southern states now. But I saw my first Bucky's. Uh, I guess this would be a Christmas blow up of a Bucky's, the Bucky's mascot, Bucky or whatever it's called. Yeah, somebody at a house not far from me, has a whole yard full of the inflatables that you can put up for Christmas. 
And right there next to Santa Claus is the Bucky's mascot. It's pretty cool. It really threw me for a, a loop. I had somebody say, hey, there's the Bucky's thing. I just thought it was another Christmas decoration. But it's a Christmas Bucky's decoration. And it might even be the number one thing being sold at Bucky's across their gas station slash brisket <laughs> brisket uh, factories. I guess that's how they would be described across the South right now. What a what a cool place. Good place to go get Christmas gifts, by the way, Bucky's. But you can go check out the Bucky's Gingerbread House right there in Williamson County, Texas. When we come back, we're going to tell you about some folks having big birthdays today. A Texan is among those. I'll have all that right after this timeout. I was taught to believe and never to doubt. The man up above knows what he's talking about. So when I heard that voice so loud and clear, Speak to my heart I knew that she must be near The maker said take her and love her forever Take care of her for life And treat her I walked my own way and felt what I felt further out of touch with a master plan. But she was like a flight to the promised land. The maker said, Take her. Golden voice, Randy Owen of Alabama. Happy birthday today, Randy Owen, as he's turning 74, born in Fort Payne, Alabama, inducted into the Musicians Hall of Fame and Museum back in 2019. And I'm going to tell you more about Randy in a moment. Welcome back. It's the Y'all Show. It's time now here on the program to tell you a little bit of Southern history and celebrate some of these folks with birthdays and more. But let me first tell you here on the show about what happened on this day in history, and it was on this day back in 1862 that the Battle of Fredericksburg wrapped up. And that was a battle just outside of Richmond, Virginia, featuring the Army of the Potomac of the Union Army against the Confederate Army under the direction of Robert E. Lee. And it was on this day in history that the Confederates won this battle after General Ambrose Burnside's troops went down in a big defeat with more than 1,200 federal soldiers killed. The Confederates lost about 600, but casualty-wise, the numbers on the Union side were twice as many as on the rebel side, 
and it was a big victory for Robert E. Lee, one of his best tactical victories during his tenure as the commander of the Army of Northern Virginia. And in this battle, you also had Stonewall Jackson helping out on the defensive line of the Confederates, and they just plumb, they just made, I mean, a, a mess out of the Yankees. It ultimately would lead to the dismissal of Ambrose Burnside as the top Army officer of the Union Army. If you know anything about Civil War history, the Federals for the first several years of the war were a endless cycle of of generals. They just couldn't find a person to lead them to victory, whether it would be Burnside, McClellan, or any of the other ones they had come in. And it was a rough, rough day on this day for the Federals against the Confederates in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Over 100,000 Federals in this battle and right around 75,000 Confederates. But General Robert E. Lee and a masterful job there by the South in this victory. The battle was described as a butchery to Abraham Lincoln as the sunken wall there led to the Confederate defenders just tearing up the Yankees. They would get their revenge later as they would definitely, at I think it was Antietam, destroy Confederates in an unnecessary way, in my opinion. But Fredericksburg came to an end, a Confederate victory back in December of 1862 happened on this day. Also on this day in history, the capture of Saddam Hussein. Do y'all remember that? Remember he was out there kind of wandering in the wilderness of the desert of Iraq for quite some time. And it was on this day in history that Saddam Hussein was captured not far from his hometown in Iraq. And he looked rough. I mean, he was down in a hole, I think, or something like that, in a spider hole is where he was found. And he did not resist capture when he was captured there. And forces under the command of Major General Raymond Ademo were the ones there that were on patrol and found him. And they got uh, they got him on this day. Saddam Hussein captured on this day as part of Operation Red Dawn. Saddam Hussein would ultimately be executed as he would be executed the following year, I believe it was, where his own people rushed him to the, I think he was hung, is how he was ultimately, the, the former head of Iraq, the disposed president of that nation, captured on this day some seven, eight months after American forces entered Iraq as part of the war there in 2003. Also, kind of a fun thing that happened on this day, back in 1989, the movie Driving Miss Daisy came out. And this starred Jessica Tandy, Morgan Freeman, Dan Aykroyd, and others. And it came to the big screen after being a off-Broadway production. And, of course, this is the story of Daisy Worthen, a wealthy Jewish widowed school teacher who lives alone in Atlanta, except she lives there with her black housekeeper in the movie played by Morgan Freeman. And this really cool Southern movie made its debut 
on this day in history back in 1989. A really, really good movie. Jessica Tandy did a good job in this movie. Did you realize that in the movie she is a native of England? She was born there in 1909. She lost. She died in Connecticut back in 1994. But one of her final roles, Driving Miss Daisy, in that movie making its debut 34 years ago today. Alvin York was born on this day, and he's from Fentress County, Tennessee, and he lived in Paul Mail, I believe is how it's pronounced. I've it looks like Paul Mall, but I, I've been told it's Pale Mail or Pale Pale Mail. Uh, I've tried to go up there. They actually have a state park in his section of Tennessee where he is from, and they even have a World War One style trench system built there at the Alvin C. York Museum, well north of Cookville. This is where this is located. It's you got to be wanting to go to pale mall or pale mail or it's it's not paul mall i know that uh, but check it out alvin york the hero of world war one sergeant york born on this day back in 1887 he's one of the most decorated soldiers of that war receiving the medal of honor for leading an attack on a german machine gun where he gathered 35 machine guns and he himself killed at least 25 enemy soldiers and captured 132 German prisoners. Sergeant York, a true American hero, he would live until 1964. He died in Nashville back in the early 1960s. But the great Sergeant York, born on this day in history and one of our great Southerners, also born on this day in 1913, Archie Moore. Archie Moore was born in Mississippi, in Benoit, Mississippi, which is not far from Cleveland in the Mississippi Delta. He was raised in St. Louis, but Archie Moore was a pro boxer and had the longest reigning world light heavyweight champion title of all time. He was that champion for a decade from 1952 to 1962, nicknamed the Mongoose. Archie Moore, Mississippian and a very good boxer, Born on this day, he lived until 1998, where he died at age 84. And for 10 years, again, Archie Moore was the longest-reigning world light heavyweight champion of all time. He's the greatest. He's the greatest. Another good sports figure from the South born on this day, Larry Doby. He was born in Camden, South Carolina, and Doby was a Negro League player that went on to be a Major League Baseball star, the second black player to ever break baseball's color barrier, and he was the first black player in the American League as he played for the Cleveland Indians from 1947 to 56. Then he went on to play for the White Sox, back to the Indians, then to the Tigers, and then wrapped up his career as a member of the Chicago White Sox in 1959, and I think that was a year that they could have won. Did they win a title? They won a World Series somewhere around 1959, 1960, or at least they won the American League pennant in 59. Yeah, I knew it was. They did not win that World Series, but they did. I guess they played the Dodgers. I think that was the first year the Dodgers had moved to L.A. I think I'm right on that. But Larry Doby the first black player in the American League 
born on this day in Camden, South Carolina, and a a tremendous, tremendous baseball player. He died in 2003. So he lived to be to the ripe old age of 79 when he passed away. Also, how about this living legend? It's Dick Van Dyke's birthday. Dick was born in 1925 in West Plains, Missouri, Porter Wagner's hometown. And Richard Wayne Van Dyke, the great comedic actor and more, recipient of all kinds of awards like Golden Globes, a Grammy, a Daytime Emmy, and more. He started out as an entertainer on radio and TV, and then, of course, making his appearances on Columbo, The Carol Burnett Show, and more. Even had his own new Vic Dick Van Dyke show that was on in the 1970s. Diagnosis Murder was a popular show that he starred in. And just so much he did and has done. Dick is thankfully still with us. Dick Van Dyke, Dick Van Dyke today, turning 98 years young. Congratulations, sir. And a life well lived for Dick Van Dyke. Also, as we said, we had the music intro for this guy, Randy Owen. Happy birthday to you as Randy was born. Randy Ewell Owen in Fort Payne, Alabama, back in 1949. And what a tremendous singer. And he and his cousins, Teddy and Jeff, they started that band called Wild Country. They went to Myrtle Beach after he got his English degree from Jacksonville State University back in the, what was it, early 1970s. And then they went on to Myrtle Beach and crafted their skills as musicians. Then they got the chance to be recording artists for RCA. And throughout the career as a member of Alabama, Randy and the group had they put out twenty one gold platinum and non or rather twenty one gold platinum and multi platinum albums. They've had forty two number one songs in their career and sold over seventy five million records. Alabama what a awesome career and Randy Owen, sort of the leader of this group and certainly the lead singer of Alabama who also has tried to do a little bit on his own as a solo artist. But Randy Owen with a birthday today. Happy 74th birthday to Randy Owen. Taylor Swift's birthday is today. Happy birthday, Miss Taylor. She just gave a million dollars this week to Middle Tennessee's tornado relief effort. So we thank you for that. But Taylor Allison Swift, the Yankee, born in West Reading, Pennsylvania, back in 1989 so she's 34 today and i don't know where she'll be celebrating hopefully not in kansas city she helped her supposed boyfriend to a loss by being there in attendance this past uh sunday night or whenever that was whenever the chiefs lost to the bills taylor swift with a birthday today maybe she'll write a song about it a guy that was born in augusta georgia but most of his life spent in south carolina growing up Ben Bernanke with a birthday today. He was the 14th chairman of the Federal Reserve, had that role during both the George H., uh, rather the George Bush years, George W. Bush, as well as the Obama years as he served as Fed chairman. But Ben Bernanke, a Augusta raised and Dillon, Augusta born, but Dillon, South Carolina raised guy that his dad was a pharmacist and a part-time theater manager there in Dillon. Dillon is north of Florence, kind of on the 
Charlotte, or rather the North Carolina border, and it's a very agrarian portion of the state of South Carolina. The Bernankes, one of the few Jewish families in Dillon, South Carolina, and uh, he went on from there, from Dillon, to go on to study at Harvard and MIT, and ultimately, as we said, he was the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Ben Bernanke, born in 1953. Happy 70th birthday to you, sir. Today's also Jamie Foxx's birthday. He was born Eric Marin Bishop, Mr. Bishop. It doesn't have quite the ring as Jamie Foxx now, does it? But Jamie, the great actor, singer, and comedian, he's portrayed Ray Charles. He has been in all kinds of fun movies, serious movies. He's won awards from the Screen Actors Guild, the Golden Globes, and more. Jamie Foxx, born on this day back in 1967. He's 56 today. Born in Terrell, just outside of Dallas. He's the son of a man named Daryl Bishop. And his dad actually converted to Islam and is now known as uh, Shahid Abdullah. All right. And uh, Jamie, of course, growing up there in the central Texas area, he had a strict Baptist upbringing, according to his bio. And as a teenager, he was a part-time pianist and choir leader in Terrell's New Hope Baptist Church. And he attended Terrell High School, where he played basketball and football as a quarterback. Quarterback for the Terrell High School football team. And he wanted to play for the Dallas Cowboys right down the road. But ultimately, he received a scholarship to the United States International University, where he would go there and study musical and performing arts composition and got into comedy and has been doing his thing for a long time. Jamie Foxx, birthday today. He's had a rough go of it here in 2023 as he's had some real health problems and his sister has kind of helped him get through his hospital stay in Atlanta where he was there for several months and Just on December 3rd, he made his first public appearance since his hospitalization as he accepted a Critics' Choice Association's Vanguard Award. And during that speech, Jamie Foxx disclosed that he couldn't walk at first and discussed his recovery without dealing, without really going into a lot of detail of what has been leading to his hospitalization for months. But he has had an unspecified medical emergency since back in April. And he's had a very, very tough year, but today is his birthday. And we really, really want to say happy birthday to Jamie Foxx turning 56 years young today. When we come back, we're going to continue the birthday celebration for Jamie Foxx, because we want to let you know about that. This guy's a funny guy. He not long ago was on one of the late night shows, Jimmy Kimmel, and he talked about getting older. You know, this was before he got hospitalized. So a little bit of a fair warning for Jamie Foxx that we didn't realize that your health condition would be going down that much since you were on that late night appearance. But Jamie Foxx humor, it's part of our Southern humor spotlight. That's going to help close out our y'all show. And we'll get to that right after the break. Don't forget that you can email us here at y'all M A I L. Mail at YALL.com. That's how you can reach us anytime. If you've got maybe your own birthday that you want to let us know about, we would 
Love to hear from it. we got Jamie Foxx humor, and we're going to reach in here and grab a few texts that have come in. All that is coming up next. to the windowsill To see a bit of heaven shoot across the sky The one and only time Daddy saw it fly It came from the east just as bright as a torch The neighbors had a party on their porch Daddy rocked the baby mother said amen When Hallie came to visit in 1910 As promised, I knew we'd get to that. That is Mary Chapin Carpenter from her album, Shooting Straight in the Dark, a great little song called Hallie Came to Jackson about Hallie's Comet back in 1910. And again, it came back in 1986. And we got some calls and texts coming in. And in the spirit of Hallie's, the reason we're talking about that is tonight, roughly well after the sun goes down, you can see the best meteor shower of the year if you get out in the country and lay down. Yeah, it's going to be pretty. It's going to be pretty out there. But we did have a texter here on the Y'all Show as we wrap things up. Texter says, Hallie's Comet is on its way back, should be back here by 2061. Well, we talked about that earlier. Yes, thank you, Texter, for letting us know that. And uh, do me a favor and text me somewhere around 2060 and let me know about that so I won't forget. But, uh, yeah, Hallie's Comet, 1910, 1986. And coming back in 2061, and Mary Chapin Carpenter might have to update her song when that happens. Texter also says, did you see the Beetlejuice asteroid transit? No, I didn't, but I sure appreciate you sharing that with us here and appreciate all the feedback coming in to the y'all show. Got a, well, we did have a call, but the caller has hung up on us, but we would take that call here on the y'all show if you want to hit us back here. Maybe you've got something to say about shooting stars and more. I'll tell you a guy that has shot to the star front in terms of Hollywood, and that is Jamie Foxx. Man, is he funny? As we said earlier today, is Jamie Foxx's birthday. Jamie having a big day today. I wonder how he's going to celebrate. He recently made his first appearance publicly in quite some time as he went on one of the award shows. Jamie Foxx turning 56 years young today. And here's a guy who's been in some awesome movies throughout his time and has been very well received as a actor. He's even recorded some stuff. He's had some albums out there like Peep This and Unpredictable and more. But in terms of what he's probably best known for today is his film work. And he started way back in 1992. He was in the movie Toys. He played the role of Baker in that one. Then he was in uh, maybe my favorite movie of all time, Booty Call. <laughs> he played Buns in the movie Booty Call. He's been in Ali. He's played a role in Ray, Ray Charles. He had the lead role 
and Ray Charles, and for a lot of folks, they said, man, that is one heck of a performance, and it was in the movie Ray. He was in Jarhead. I love that movie where he played Staff Sergeant Sykes. You know, Jamie Foxx can be a tough guy when he needs to be, and he was in that movie. Jarhead out in 2005. Hard to believe it's been that long ago when he was on that, uh, but he was, and that was a, a really cool movie there that he was on in that role. Jarhead, he was in the movie, not the TV show, but he was in the movie Miami Vice where he played Tubbs. Pretty cool 1980s TV series turned into a uh, pretty neat little movie, Miami Vice. Jamie Foxx also has been in movies like Dream Girls. He was in The Soloist, played the role of Dean M.F. Jones in Horrible Bosses. <laughs> How about that role? Hey, your name, your character name is M.F. in a role, and he actually brought that back to life in 2014 when he played the role of Dean M.F. Jones in Horrible Bosses 2. Uh, he's been pretty active on, on the Horrible Boss front. Jamie Foxx, the birthday boy. And today on the Y'all Show, we thought we would remind you that Jamie's had a pretty good career. Not, you know, of course he's had a great career, but he's had a really significant career before he ever really got into acting. Remember, this was a guy that was doing quite well on the stand-up comedy front. And so he's got one heck of a sense of humor. And we're going to go back to right when he started appearing on TV shows after the pandemic was slowing down a few years back, Jamie Foxx made an appearance on Jimmy Kimmel Live, and here he talks about getting old. And so here's a little bit of Jamie Foxx's own style of making you laugh on the Y'all Show as part of our Southern Humor Spotlight. It's being in front of a group of people. I am. I'm a little winded, as a matter of yeah, fact. Okay. <laughs> Take a drink. <laughs> Many, don't you hate that when you get older? You just turn out. I, I was in the shower the other day. Just went, oh, okay, can't do that no more. There's also a thing that you that I found that, like, I start walking weird and then I get yeah. comfortable with it. And like, oh, yeah, this is how old men walk. And I should stop doing this. And you don't realize that you're, that, well, with me, I don't know if it's our culture, but your, 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 butt, your ass sticks out a little more. Because my pops, I used to watch my pops when he would come home and it was this. And I was like, Pops, what is that? You keep on living. Keep on living. <laughs> and That's so now goodness. I find myself when I'm, I don't realize it, but I shoot an IG of me walking and my ass is slowly. So I just got to get my posture right. You know <laughs> yeah. You know where I notice it is in like a video. We'll shoot at home of the kids. My yeah. wife will shoot it. I'll see myself on the side. I'll go, tough. oh, no, what's going on over there? <laughs> tough, tough, tough. You know what the other thing is? Working out. Oh, no, nah, I wouldn't know out. about that, but Can't yeah, work go out. ahead. <laughs> no, Jay. What's Jay, that like? Jay, no. <laughs> what, you look great, man. Thanks. No. Yeah. I, I got, listen, you want to talk about Manx? Listen. You got something going on there? <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nothing like a good old Manx. That's a male spank. A male spank, yeah. All right, that's some fun that Jamie Foxx having on Jimmy Kimmel Live, uh, while back talking about getting older and today jamie fox is getting just a little bit older as he's celebrating his birthday today the terrell texas native born back on this day in 19 
60, what was he born in? 67. So he's 56 years young today. Happy birthday, the guy that was born, Eric Marion Bishop, and now known as Jamie Foxx. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to everybody else out there celebrating here on the Y'all Show. We're celebrating the end of this Wednesday edition. we got a whole nother day coming Thursday. Kiefer Ingalls will be here to talk football and more. It's going to be fun. Thank you for listening to the show all about the South, the Y'all Show.